0: Hello again, everyone, and welcome to Now We're Talking. This is a podcast about communication skills, and my name is Rob Danish, and I'm a professor of communication studies at the University of Waterloo in Canada. Uh, this is episode 94 of Now We're Talking. So in episode 93, we had talked about the difference between compliance and persuasion, and that was kind of lead up into this week's episode, which is about motivational interviewing as a, and the process of persuasion. So let me first t- start uh, by linking this episode back to the previous one for a second. Um, I think that it's important to recognize at the outset that most people are resistant to change. So we don't like change. It's uncomfortable and it's difficult. And if we're, we're interested as communicators in persuasion, we're interested in changing beliefs or changing behaviors. The reason people choose compliance tactics instead of tactics of persuasion, which is what I was saying in the previous episode, is that compliance tactics are easier to do. They get a shorter-term reward from them, and persuasion is just harder and, and it's more complicated. So if change is something most people resist, and you know it's going to be hard to get someone to change to begin with, then you might fall back on compliance tactics instead of persuasion tactics because you know how difficult it is going to be to persuade someone. Uh, So today I I want to talk about um, motivational interviewing. And um, why I I want to talk about this is that I think it's a useful tool for uh, developing our skills at persuasion and learning how to persuade someone instead of just force them to comply with us. Motivational interviewing was developed by two guys named William Miller and Stephen Rolnick in 1999. And it was a structured approach to negotiating and supporting people that are attempting to go through behavior change. It's really kind of a therapist's model. So that can help people, for example, change uh, or, or stop smoking or um, get out of their an addiction. Um, and it ties in with uh, what psychologists call the cycle of change the kind of trans-theoretical model of change, uh, which kind of says that the idea of behavior change is that it's a process um, and people have to be ready for the process. Um, and you know some of that is, um, I guess, like kind of less important, um, less important for me and for communication scholars than it is. The, and, and so what I want to do is try and take some of the insights of motivational interviewing and read them like um, a communication scholar would read them and try and take from them kind of uh, indications about how we might improve our, our skills at persuasion. Um, so, so let's, uh, before we get at the specifics of how to do motivational interviewing and, and what we might learn from it, I wanna talk first a little bit about its kind of orientation or or how it conceptualizes the relationship between two people. So basically the hypothesis of motivational interviewing is that, um, and, and remember this is something practiced by therapists, so that the greater the therapist uses motivational interviewing skills, the greater the likelihood that a person will change. And then when the therapist exhibits uh, communication behaviors that are inconsistent with motivational interviewing, the less likely the person is to change. That begs the question, what are the skills and communication skills and behaviors that are consistent with motivational interviewing? And what are the ones that are inconsistent with? Well, at this point, it shouldn't be uh it, it some of this should be clear from this podcast but the most common motivational interviewing communication skills are open questions simple and complex reflections and affirmations and those are the things that lead to greater change on the part of the person you're talking with and then the communication behaviors that are inconsistent with motivational interviewing are confrontation warnings and unsolicited advice. So when you confront someone, when you warn someone, and when you give them unsolicited advice, they are less likely to change. Um, so what what do we what else do we learn from motivational interviewing? Um, the reason why open-ended questions and reflection and affirmation work and confrontation um, and unsolicited advice don't work is that motivation to change is or has to originate in the person that is expected to change. It can't be, the motivation to change can't be imposed from without. And earlier in this podcast, when I talked about the difference between push tactics and pull tactics of persuasion, this was also what I was talking about. You can't push someone to adapt a view. It's And what motivational interviewing has shown, what psychologists have shown, is that people are less likely to change their views when you push them to do that. So the source of the change has to be this kind of internal locus of evaluation on the part of the person you're talking with. So as a communicator, what you have to do is put the person you're talking with in a position so that they feel like they are they are motivated to change, not that the change is being imposed on them. Um, this is another way of saying that Uh, direct persuasion is not an effective method for changing people's behaviors or beliefs. Direct persuasion is not effective. Instead, direct persuasion should be replaced by what a therapist would call the conversational style. And a conversational style is generally kind of quiet, it's eliciting, um, it's Aids someone in examining and resolving their own ambivalence, their own commitments, their own beliefs. Um, Because you start from the position that readiness to change is not a given trait of any one person. Um, In other words, okay, so what I said at the very beginning of this episode people don't like change, it's really hard. And so we, we try and get them to comply with something instead of change, because compliance tactics of communication are easier. Well, if change is really hard, um, that means that we cannot push, directly push a person to change, but instead we have to prepare them to be ready to change themselves. And what, uh, what motivational interviewing teaches us is that the readiness to change is a product of a conversational interaction, so it's through inter- an interpersonal relationship that someone becomes ready to change. That relationship has to be more like a partnership than an expert and recipient, or than a director and a subservient person, etc. It has to use what a second ago I just called the the motivational interviewing, consistent skills like open questions, simple and, uh, and complex reflections, affirmations, and it can't use confrontation, warning, unsolicited advice, etc. So when it's a conversation that foregrounds those communication practices and backgrounds, the other ones, then that relationship or that, that interpersonal interaction becomes uh, a kind of conversational partnership. And as a conversational partnership, you're now in a position to um, to help someone change themselves. Okay, so um, that is a kind of background about how motivational interviewing works. I, I should I guess I should add the, the data is in on this. like we know that um, these kinds of conversational, relational um, uh, interactions, between people can make someone ready and motivated to change and we know the evidence is in that kind of direct push tactics of persuasion almost never make someone ready to change so it just doesn't doesn't happen uh, when we're when we're overly direct and it happens much more easily when we're in a kind of conversational relationship with the other we other the other person um, so I think, we need to talk about um, the skills of motivational interviewing. So there are what I think of as four uh, foundational communication skills that are used in motivational interviewing. And we can apply or use these skills in any sort of circumstance when we want someone else to change. These communication skills are really familiar to counselors um, and to therapists, et cetera, but they're maybe less familiar to non-practicing counselors. Uh, those four skills are open questions, affirmations, reflections, and summaries. And reflections and summaries we, and affirmations we've actually talked about talked on here uh, about before. So they're not uh, they're not so new. Open questions invite other people to sort of tell their own story in their own words without leading those the, someone in a specific direction. So open questions are should be used in, often in conversations, but not exclusively. Um, and when you ask an open question, you have to be willing to listen to the person's response. So there, I mean, think of an open question as the opposite of a closed question. Closed questions typically elicit a, a, a yes or no answer. So do you like bananas? Yes or, or no? Um, I'll give you a couple examples of open-ended questions. Um, So here's an open-ended. Do you have a good relationship with your parents? What can you tell me about your relationship with your parents? Um, How can I help you with X? Or help me understand your perspective on Y? Or how would you like things to be different here? Or what are good things about this, and what are less than good things about it? When, um, When would you be most likely to think about Y? Or what do you think you will lose if you give up your job? Or what have you tried before to make something change in your life? Or what do you want to do next? Those are open ended questions. Affirmations are statements and gestures that recognize someone's strengths and acknowledge behaviors that lead in the direction of change, no matter how big or small. So affirmations build confidence in someone's ability to change. And they have to be genuine and congruent. We've talked about congruence and and authenticity on here before, but here's uh, some examples of affirmations. I appreciate that you're willing to talk with me today. Talking is a good thing, it's a start. Um, You're a very resourceful person. You handle yourself really well in, in that situation. That's a really good suggestion you've got there. If I were in your shoes, I don't know if I could have managed as well as you're managing. I've liked talking to you. It's been a good conversation. Those are examples of affirmations. Reflective listening is a primary skill in, um, in all sorts of good communication practices. It's basically the central pathway for engaging others in relationships and for building trust, which we've talked about on, in this podcast before. So now I'm saying not only is reflective listening essential for building trust, it's also essential for fostering motivation to change. It seems easy, reflective listening, but it's really actually pretty hard and it's not a skill many of us do well. Um, it's it's also vital, I think, to learn to think reflectively. And that's one of the most pop- popular episodes of my podcast is about what is the one thing you can do to ensure your communication skills are improved. It's become more self-reflective and think, reflect on your own communication practices. Um, so this, you know, it's, it's not it's we have to learn how to think reflectively generally, and that includes learning an interest in what the person has to say and re- respect for the person's inner kind of own inner sense of wisdom. Um, anyway, reflective listening is meant to kind of close the loop in communication and to make sure that nothing else has broken down also. So it's a way of ensuring that um, that you've understood what someone's been saying. Uh, usually the listener's voice turns down at the end of a reflective listening statement. Uh, that may feel presumptuous, but it can lead to clarification and greater exploration. Uh, so, and instead questions, they can interrupt the, someone else's flow. Uh, so here are some, for example, phrases that are reflective phrases. So you feel, it sounds like you, or it sounds like you're wondering if, uh, there are kind of three basic levels of reflective listening that can deepen or increase intimacy and then ger- then because of that change the tone of the interaction. Um, so there's repeating, rephrasing, um, and uh, we've talked about all these before, where the listener just repeats or substitutes synonyms or phrases and stay close to what the speaker has to say. There's paraphrasing where the listener makes a restatement in which the speaker's meaning is, is inferred. And then there's a reflection of a feeling where you emphasize the emotional dynamics behind what someone has said and you kind of state or name those emotions and that's the deepest form of listening uh, varying kind of levels of reflection is also an effect of listening so going from repeating to paraphrasing to reflecting a feeling kind of can work um anyway though, though like so reflection is is something we we do We've talked about before, and then fourth is there's, there's summarizing, and summarizing you're just drawing together the person, uh, our 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 interlocutor's um, own perspectives on what's been happening. So it, it's a step further than reflecting. Now you're kind of taking various things the other person has said and, and coordinating them or or organizing them in some way and summarizing for that person, so that you can reflect all of them back, uh, back to that person. So if you master those four communication skills, which are central to motivational interviewing and apply them in any set of circumstances, you'll actually increase the likelihood that the person you're talking with will change. That seems like a really big deal to me and a really key component of the process of persuasion if we're taking persuasion seriously. What I wanna do now is just like talk through a whole bunch of stuff that you can ask. And, And so these are a bunch of questions from, and uh, kind of snippets of questions from, um, from motivational interviewers and the kinds of ways in which they talk to other people. And you'll notice some, some patterns in these ways, but you can adapt them yourselves to any, any kind of situation. You want your parents to change. You want your kid to change. You want your partner to change. You want your boss to change. You want someone who works for you to change. These are the kinds of strategies we would use. Um, so, okay, open questions. They're good to elicit kind of, um, they're, they're really good at listening talk. So here are some examples of open questions. In what ways would it be good for you to uh, do X or Y? So, you know, I might ask my mom, like, in what ways would it be good for you to do yoga or to start exercising more? If you did decide to do yoga, how would you do it? So this is hypothetically if I wanted my mom to start doing yoga? Um, what would be the good things about uh, swimming with your friends more frequently? Uh, or if I'm talking to my kid, what would be the good thing about you learning going to swimming lessons and learning how to swim? Why would you want to swim or learn how to swim? Or why would you want to go to play team sports? Um, those are kinds of open ended questions. Uh, and here, here, let's say, My youngest son, he really didn't want to take swimming lessons. So in order to get him to decide that he wanted to take swimming lessons, I could have said, you know, what would be the good things about you learning how to swim? But then he might express some ambivalence about it so I can go further. I can say on a scale of zero to ten, how important do you think it is to know how to swim? Uh, And if he said anything but a zero, I might say, and why are you at you know, four and not zero? And then i might ask on a scale of 0 to 10 how confident do you feel that you could learn how to swim and why are you not at a zero or why are you at a four there Uh, and then i might also get the person to ask some questions that they're looking forward instead of backwards you know if we don't learn how to swim what do you think will happen later on or where would you like to be in five or six or seven years and what do you hope will be different about your life in that time. How does swimming or yoga or whatever fit into that? When a person then starts to talk about something different, let's say my son starts to say, well, maybe it's not a bad idea that I should take swimming lessons. When you hear that, you need to reflect it and restate it back to the person and ask for elaboration. So you don't think it's a bad idea are there any other reasons why you might learn how to swim? And then you can also affirm what they've said. You can say, oh, that's really helpful for me to hear that you don't think it's a bad idea. Um, anyway, th- those I think are, um, you know, and, and I can go on too. So, you know, what does it mean to you to do this or not do that? Um, what could I do to help you, um, learn how to swim or be more confident in your swimming or, or whatever? Um, those are kind of additional questions. So, so hopefully you get the sense, um, you know, like, well, what would have to change to make this easy for you? Or what would the next step look like for you? Or where does this leave you? Or, um, what do you think has to be different for you to really enjoy swimming or yoga or whatever? Um, so I guess, I don't know. I like the way I can go on and on and on. There's, we're at 20 minutes now and I like to keep these to 20 minutes. Uh, I can go on and on and on with these, but you're getting, I'm trying to give you a kind of sense and flavor of generally questions that would kind of manifest those for, um, those four really important communication skills um, that we just talked about. So um, if you're able to do that in a kind of conversational way, then you're going to be able to create change in people. I think that's the main takeaway here. So remember the the communication skills that are attached to motivational interviewing are ask open-ended questions, affirm the person, reflect what the person says and summarize to draw together the person's own perspective on change or on so, something different. If you approach conversations like that instead of in a kind of direct pushing uh, process of persuasion, you evidence suggests you're more likely to get someone to change. Um, all right. Anyway, that's it for today's episode. Thanks everyone for listening. And I'll be back shortly with another new episode and we'll keep talking about persuasion, I think for a bit.